Hello and welcome to We Recover Loudly, the podcast shaking up conversations about addiction, recovery and drinking cultures in hospitality. This podcast aims to break down the walls of silence around addiction and recovery in the industry. The episodes will be a mix of personal stories from myself and from other sober champions with experience of working in hospitality, as well as interviews with hospitality leaders who are providing training and resources to assist in creating sustainable workplace environment for you and your teams. We will discuss mental health, stress, and other challenges in the industry that can lead to addiction, challenging the work hard, play hard mentality. So let's turn it up and get loud, because when we recover loudly, we stop others from dying quietly. As I sat and watched the film Boiling Point at Curzon Soho, alone with my bucket of popcorn in an empty wallet, I had no idea what to expect. The visceral, heart-beating roller coaster of every emotion and experience in the film resonated to my very core. I left that cinema feeling wired, shaken and exhausted. I felt like I'd just watched my entire career on the screen and I'd been every one of those characters at one stage. Soon after the film's release, there were chefs and restaurateurs stating that was so unrealistic, it's not like that where we work. But for me, it was bang on. And I took the side of, well, if it's not like that, then you are, in fact, the lucky ones. For me, the depiction was the essence of everything I'd experienced in the past 17 years of my career. One chef who felt it on an even more personal level, with suspicions the film was in fact based on him, was the chef and owner of Madame Pig, the infamous Dalston neighbourhood restaurant. This incredible chef and business owner was barely functioning on a mix of alcohol and drugs day in and day out. Was this a surprise to anyone who worked with him or knew him? No, not at all. It was there in plain sight. Why was he able to continue to run a successful restaurant while dealing openly with the pain and chaos of addiction? In this episode, I talked to Adam about his career spiked with addiction, his late diagnosis of ADHD, cooking on cocaine, and how he feels he was born an addict. This is a truly inspiring story of someone who has worked his arse off to get clean. And as he says, if he can do it, anyone can. Great. Welcome to We Recover Loudly, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are we? I'm all right. Well, thank you so much for coming and being my first official guest. When I was thinking about who to ask, um, you were right up there. Um, While we haven't actually met in person um, I followed your journey of sobriety um, on Instagram and it's been really inspiring and the way that you have been very open and vocal about your challenges and what you've been mm-hmm. doing to kind of get through um, all of that has been really, really wonderful and the premise of the podcast and the community is all about people like yourself and myself who have gone through the darkness of addiction showing that it is possible to still work in our beautiful industry. Um, but before we get into all the dark, nitty gritty stuff, it would be great to just know about what brought you to hospitality and uh, where you've been working and what that journey looked like. Um, yeah, so when I went to secondary school, I was sort of um, fixated in was football. And that's all i done was just play football. And then I, I think it was like 11 or 12, I chose um, food technology, even I think it was called some home ec or something then, something like that. And chose food, cooking, and it's very simple stuff. But like I got so excited 
going into like, I can remember going into like Tesco's with my mum to buy all the ingredients. And I was like, it was like, I think I, in my head, I can remember Dolmio sauce and Parmesan. And it was like that sort of excitement of just doing something different. And I ended up have my first girlfriend, her mum was my food technology teacher. So it was like nice. I felt um, I was being taught a little bit more than the other kids. And I was just into it. And then um, uh, 12, 13, I worked in a sandwich shop called Munchkins and Wicked Witches. Uh, I was good. I'm not going to lie. Like I just, I was quick. I was good at making sandwiches. And then I worked in like little jobs like um, I was a fish and chip boy. Nice. And then I started working in a place called Vesuvio's from a young age, uh, which I ended up buying. I bought it at 21. Then I moved to, no, and then I worked for Jamie Oliver, worked for people like Jamie Oliver. Then after Jamie Oliver, I worked in a classic French hotel. Then I moved to London. Then I worked in, at the time, the best pub in London. Princess Shoreditch, and then I went and worked for a very big pub group as head chef. Um, then I worked to done stages at places like St John's, uh, stages for other really good chefs, and then I, I don't, yeah, just, I, you know, it's so all this where I've worked and stuff is all quite vague, but yeah, and then ended up with Madame Pig was a year ago sort of like a year ago today that I gave that I had to close it but like it's weird because I've been cooking for like 27 years but like in and out of like a load of other stuff because like I thought I was like I was sort of when I was younger I was like jack of all trades master of none but I was always cooking so like Mm. I had courier businesses I had lots of vans and I was always cooking um so yeah yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's definitely an industry that uh, I find that you can kind of go back to. It it never leaves you if it's something you've got a passion for. It kind of always, for me, once it had bitten, that was it. There was no kind of going back. No matter what I did, I ended up always wanting to go back to that hustle and bustle and excitement of working in hospitality. So, Madam Pig, um, a Dalston restaurant, iconic hotspot, which Mm. you had opened. Um, Tell me more about that place. Yeah, so probably since I was 19, I've been cooking solid. I just always, like the epitome of a a chef career is sort of like owning your own restaurant. And then I, I I was working for a friend of mine, sort of part ownership exec chef looking after about five pubs and it all went wrong and I was sort of left in London sort of back in my old ways no money couldn't afford to smoke couldn't jump in trains like I was in quite a dark place but I re I had a business plan for Madame Pig and I was doing pop-ups in another friend's spot in Highgate and I was walking up there like every day from East London and I was doing pop-ups and they were just selling out. And I was trying to look for a big bulk of money, like like 100,000, 200,000. And 
obviously that it's it was hard like five four or five years ago to look for that sort of money. And then we put a deal together for me to sublet Madame Pig, the actual building, and it was a burger spot at the time. Subletted it for done a deal, subletted it for three months, borrowed some money of somebody that suggested, why don't you look for smaller money? So subletted it for three months, and within that three months, I basically had enough to put a large chunk for the premium down. And as soon as I opened it, I opened it up, done a, I think after laying down that money, I had about a thousand pounds to like actually turn it from a burger spot into a wow. restaurant and opened it for three days, stood there, looked at it. It reminded me of a school project. So I shut it with that money that I gained from the three days of opening it. And I'd done a proper sort of refurb. And then the ball was just like straight away. It was just busy. Yeah. I mean, you got you received so many incredible reviews and accolades. It really, you know, especially at Dalston at that time, mm. it's such a compared to the Dalston when I used to live in London. It was quite was quite uh, scary. It was yeah. certainly um, a really cool and vibey area to uh, to have the place. Um, and then, obviously, you know, the the premise of um, we recover loudly is to talk about people's journeys with drinking, with drug use. And, you know, that has been something that you've been really openly vocal about, um, kind of marred your career, as it were, across the yeah. years. Um, you know, is that something for you that started quite early or yeah, was it something that later on? Yeah, no, it basically goes back to like how we started this in a way how I started in cooking is um, like when I, I'm in a, I'm in a fellowship, I'm in NA now and I celebrate 16 months clean on Friday. So like when I look back, like when I share my story now and like when I look back, it really did start at that age of 11. So like when I went to secondary school, um, now I know that like, I, I believe I was born an addict. So like regardless of whether I was a chef, or whether whatever I was, I was always going to end up as an as a at that um, at my darkest times. Whatever whatever I was going to whatever I was going to do, I was always an addict. And eleven years old, now looking back, is when it all started. I just I couldn't handle social situations. I felt awkward, and it all started with girls and. Um, being put into a situation that I really didn't feel comfortable with. That, like, something that I wanted to do, but I couldn't do naturally. So I started drinking. And then I started hanging around with the wrong crew, people, gang. And it was never a big thing. It was like, you do, everybody else does this, so I will do it. And then when the drinking became sort of like I'm the best at drinking at 11 and 12 so then I started smoking weed sniffing glue from a, like 12 13 then I started finding best better ways to like smoke weed so like doing like bath buckets and lungs and all sorts freeway hubblies and like I was very experimental but and then at the top of that I'd be like I will never take a pill and like mm. that all of my friends are doing and I'll never do acid and then like years later 
ended up that person. So like it was just, and it was sort of like a graduation of like up until 16 months ago, I was always that person. I'll never do that. And then I ended up doing that. So like interesting that you say about, you know, it was something that gave you confidence when you were feeling, you know, it was a situation that you weren't feeling that you could be yourself in. And I think a lot of people definitely use alcohol and drugs for exactly that reason. For me, when it came to working in hospitality, I would always find myself in situations that were quite stressful. And, you know, there was so much demand on an expectation on you. I would definitely find that that would be after those services where my using would definitely increase because it was just that whole kind of wearing a mask all the time of happiness and, you know, that front of house persona. And that for me is when it definitely started to get out of hand. Um, Did you find your using was impacting your work in the beginning or was it something that was only later on? This is actually quite interesting because I, I've got ADHD. So when I used um, uppers, they suppressed me. And when I used yeah. downers, they brought me up. So when I took morphine, oromorph, tramadol, dihydrocodine, codeine, like when I took all of those drugs, they brought me up. And then when I mm. took cocaine, mainly cocaine, it brought me down. So um, I was always on opiates when I was in kitchens. So like when oh, yeah. opiates were like, up, well, this is up until like, the last 12 years probably when I was like fully on cocaine I um yeah my training was all opiates because I because I always wanted to isolate from other people and I just I Mm. like that saying I feel like a piece of shit and the world revolves around me that's what I always (laughs) felt my whole life and I do still to this day so I like wanted to I just wanted to be I thought I was different so I'm gonna if I feel different, I'm going to be away from all of you. And if you're all doing this, I'm going to be doing this. And this makes me feel better. So that's why, like, I just felt completely different every second of every day of my whole life. So when I was Mm. in kitchens and I was taking opiates that nobody knew about and everybody else was drinking and everybody else was doing recreational drugs, I just was like, I'm sweet. I don't need to. But I was mm. taking 62 tramadol a day. So wow. it just like fucked. But and then yeah. obviously now I know from like recovery and rehab and NA that like it's just cross addiction. Yeah. Obviously, one of the reasons, but one of the main reasons behind um, the work that we're doing with We Recover Loudly is that there is such a prevalence of addiction, um, alcohol, drugs, everything within our industry um from your point of view why do you think you know the last um, i think one of the statistics i quote is 15 percent um of people who work in our industry are are, are horrendously addicted to these substances versus nine mm. percent in the general population you know so that's double the amount of people who work in our industry and it is the number one industry for these challenges How, what do you um what do you think is the some of the reasons behind that well, if you, it's quite a deep question because if you like look at like what I know now and what you probably know now is like the reasons why you take drugs isn't because of the drug. So like mm. the way I use biscuits in play school is the same reason, and I 
felt uncomfortable being around other kids and I wanted to separate myself from that. I mm. and I over ate biscuits is the same reason why I took drugs. So like those people, the people that are in our, my, our, my, my industry, our industry, get triggered every single second of the day. So like, which I still do now. So like, and you've got a higher percentage of being triggered in kitchens. And this is my, this is, I strongly believe this. That like, mm. when you're in a kitchen and you're being triggered constantly, and it's bringing back memories that you don't even know about. That like from your childhood from your inner child, from your youth. And then somebody's screaming at you, somebody's shouting at you, there's so much pressure on you, you can't hand you can probably handle it in the right way. But then it's not being taught. You don't like that feeling. So you have a drink, Shady. It's unacceptable to have a drink in front of people or use drugs. So you do it behind closed doors. Mm. Yes. That hundred percent to me, that's it. If I like, which is what I do. I have boundaries now because I can, but yeah. like back in the day, I never did. So like if somebody screams at me, I was never bullied because like I stood up for myself, but like I could have easily been bullied. So like if I, um, I can remember being screamed at, working for Jamie Oliver and things like that and going downstairs and popping more tramadol or coding. Yeah. And it yeah. would give me this false bravado of like I can stare at somebody in the eye and give it back to them. It would give me fake bravery, courage, mm. strength, everything I needed. Everything and you were I needing that needed. because people were talking to you in that way, you know? It's... Yeah, like, like, like I just used to look at people, or I can remember now looking at people, like other chefs and just being like, wow, you can tolerate a lot, man. Like, and then whilst using people used to turn around to me and be like, you can tolerate a lot, can't you? And then I was just like, mm. yeah, I can, can't I? But like, obviously it was all fake. It was all like masked behind a ridiculous opiate addiction yeah. at that time. I think there is so much um, in terms of in our industry that kind of keeping a strong face on it that, um, you know, and certainly in my experience is front of house um, and you've got the analogy of the swan where you glide through the room and underneath the water, your legs are going a million miles an hour. And there seems to be prevalent in our industry this excessive need to always seem on top of things and reactive and um able to handle anything that comes through the door and like you say though there is there is a cost to that you know not being able to have that you know I certainly would always feel like such a failure if I wasn't able to stay at the same level as my team members whether that was the hours that they were working the amount they were drinking after work you know that hustle hustle work hard play hard culture um is that something that you found within your own restaurant was you know, something with your own team that you had to manage at all? Like the cost of that sort of, my addiction was for the last uh, like 10 years, like when I've been a, an exec chef looking after pubs, living like still in my head today, a glamorous life. Mm-hmm. Like it's still classed in my addict head that it was a glamorous life. It was probably like the most disturbing disgusting feral Mm. way of my life like 
to put into into contrast, like into sort of like what it was like, like when I had Madame Pig, I was walking before, like I was saying, like doing pop-ups and stuff. And I was like picking up cigarette butts on the floor because I had my money. But I was just so like, because maybe my ADHD by thinking, I'm going to get this restaurant, I'm going to get this restaurant. So when I got this restaurant, it sort of, Madame Pig, it put me into like this massive, like to me, it felt like a natural ego of like, I've got it now. So, and then it felt, I felt really powerful. But, and then all that power was coming from cocaine and it sort of like, and I was very much looked after with drugs. Like mm-hmm. it was quite um, gifted to me from people that I've known in my life, people I know in London, in my old life. So like, it was quite, uh, it was quite a scene. So, but then it just, everybody saw, at the beginning, nobody really knew, but then they knew I partied like in the restaurant, people Mm -hmm. came there to party. And then it just ended up being like me living in the restaurant, having a flat down the road, living in a hotel down the road, but living in the restaurant because I was in psychosis. I was like showering in my sink, having a PA, having meetings in the front of the restaurant whilst I'm showering in the sink, scared to like get deliveries in because I was just fucking mental in psychosis, in addiction, like not being able to cut an onion up because Mm. I couldn't cut an onion before I'd done a line. Then I come back went to cut the onion, couldn't do it, I need a drink. By the time somebody's coming at 11 o'clock, I've done, like, in context of, like, I know one is too many and a thousand never enough, but, like, it was disgusting levels. Like, I was four, like, four Valium in to calm me down and to, like, make me normal. Like, a couple of grams in, two bowls of tequila. It was just crazy. And then I was like, wow, I'm normal now. So like that yeah. level of like what used to make me feel normal when I was a kid, a biscuit, the level of that biscuit now is like, this is two years ago, was like enough to kill quite a few human beings by 11 o'clock and I haven't even cut a fucking onion. Wow, and this yeah. is the epitome of my career, 25 years in, owning a restaurant. And then, and then it would just spiral throughout the day because I can cook with my eyes shut. And then without sounding like a prick, and that does sound prickish, if somebody said that, I'd just be like, you're a knob. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, but like it is, but it is yeah. sort of like that level of like people, how do you get away with it? Because I've done it for so long. And pe- I did get asked that question a lot. And then when the party ended, when people went home at 12, 1, my workers went home, I was in the restaurant on my own, carrying mm. on. And then I couldn't get to my my flat. I couldn't get to my hotel because I was in psychosis. I thought people were after me. And then I was, I needed to pluck the courage up somehow. Valium, more tequila. Oh, I'm okay now. I'm going to take more cocaine. Oh, fuck, I'm in psychosis again. Oh, I'm gonna, it's just like, and I've never really shared that in the rooms, in fellowships, because I don't really talk about the war stories. But like that last... Those last years of my life, of that life, were like just were just fucking crazy. It was a battle, mm. and it's quite emotional saying it because 
it's not that long ago. I'm no. still a newcomer in this new life, and it's just like it was so normal. Like, yeah, it was beyond normal that I couldn't even if if I ever went to sleep or woke up, I couldn't even have a shower without all of that stuff I just mentioned. Did people notice? Were people questioning you? Were with people? You know, I think that's one of the things I found at finding our industry that that excessive dysfunctional way of living, you know, it's there's there's an acceptance about it. Did you find people challenging you? You've got to like you've got to understand. I was I had quite an infamous like a well known restaurant in East London. I was mental on Instagram. I've never ever had a bad comment which is mad on all of my socials about me, about calling people out. Like, like I used to go in on people that said a bad word, nothing back. So like, it's going to have to, it would have taken a brave person to come in and be like, look, man, like, don't you think you're living, but everybody sort of can, can, what's that word? Like sort of like controlled it, like sort of like stirred it on. And then I did, I did, there was like some friends that had interventions and they tried to give me interventions, but failed because they were the wrong people to do it. And it, obviously it needs to come for myself. But no, it was quite, um, but I, even going through all of that, I didn't know that at the time. I hardly mm. took drugs. I never took, the way I was living was acceptable in my head. Like there was worse people than me. There's worse friends than me. Um, it was very acceptable. It was normal. It was normal to go to bed with a bottle of Jameson's, piss in a LucasAid bottle, and like go to bed with a Coke plate. Like, yeah. yeah, normal. The normalcy of it all, when you look back, it's just so ludicrous. And I don't know, I certainly, I think for me, found that what starts out as being quite a normal routine slowly but surely and that's the that's the tricky part when it comes to addiction and it comes to alcohol and drugs it's you know things can feel quite normal to begin and then before you know it it's just you cross that line and it happens so fast that you know for me it almost felt like I was just drinking a glass of Merlot and now what what's happened when did this become out of hand and I think because of our industry, because there being such a prevalence of that party, work hard, play hard. And like you said, you know, almost not encouragement, but the conjoling of, you know, oh, it's this is how our chef is. This is his character. There's that acceptability that you can play into it. You know, it feels like it's a win-win situation almost. They get what they give them what they want and, you know you get to live that life but it's just it's so so dangerous it is quite it is quite a tricky one because of the way that i use and the way that i me myself like as an addict that like what if i was a if i was a builder if i was this if i whatever i would have been it would have been the same state Mm. but it's like being around it like i've had i've people that work for me that I that were in a similar situation to me and stuff and it was like it's just there isn't it it's just like it's there in front of you um like yeah like it wasn't easy working for me like all of the like just imagine working for me in the addiction it was just like I probably caused I 100% caused probably 
And this is the truth. Every single person that worked for me to a drink. Yeah. It's the truth. Like I had a girl, a PA that worked for me, who was in recovery whilst working for me. And it is like I I like I, I like she's a friend of mine and like I sort of break up, like break down every time I say it because I understand where it's like now for her to be 16 months, two years clean, working for somebody in addiction. And I made her life help. Like wow. she, she was doing meetings in my garden. I was unaware. I was like, what the fuck are you doing that for? Whilst she was like, I want you to, she was dropped hints sometimes to me, but like, it's really hard. And obviously I'm, I need to do the work on it to like, and I thought she helps me a lot now, but like, Thinking that that was me, as a that was me, that I put I done that I put her through that. It's just like makes me feel, just does really make me feel sad. Mm. I was just an yeah. unwell person. I was just so, and I, yeah, and and that that's a thing like that unwell person is why I do what I do now, and I think it's very important to like mention that like. And I think it's a massive part in hospitality, in trading, in banking or whatever. Mm. Like um, the unawareness of another life. Yeah. There's no, there, there's, sorry, the awareness of another life. It's just I never had it. I never yes, had the awareness so of another life until I lost my life. Until I had seizures on the 18th of December 2021, I didn't realise that there was another life. So, like, I just think that's what you're doing and what other people are doing is amazing because if people knew about this new life, then they wouldn't do the old one. 100%. Absolutely. Do you think that with this new life, you know, is it possible to work in hospitality in that same way? You know, is there a space for people in recovery, in hospitality to still work and succeed and at that level? Yeah, 100%. There's so many people in like that people don't even know about that, mm. like, obviously, I'm not going to break that anonymity, but like, really famous chefs and like, and chefs that like everybody knows. But for me, I went straight back into it. When I left rehab, I went straight back in and I felt it's my safe place. Like, it's yeah. probably the most comfortable I've ever felt in life is cooking. So I went straight back in. I find just it's just living like when i went into rehab and they turned around and they said you're gonna when do you start using 11 you're gonna be like an 11 year old adult in this world i am that i'm like 12 and a half i'm like 12 years old and six months that's what i am now and i yeah and i and i the day i left rehab i was like bullshit i was like i'm 38 and i know everything still and I came out two hours later and I was in an NA meeting crying my eyes out. So it is like, yeah, it's, uh, it's fucking hard, man. It really is. It's so hard. But if I can do it, and I know this is said quite a lot, if I can do it with anybody can, I genuinely, there's so much hope, man. Like I've... Yeah. Yeah, so much hope. If people just knew about the fellowships and like, like today, I would, if I didn't do what I've done today, I wouldn't be able to live my day. Yeah. 
I would have used no, that's today. It. It's very simple. I've woken up, I prayed, I've done an NA meeting, then I went, I still felt, felt mental and anxious and uncomfortable and sick. Rang my sponsor, rang other people in the fellowship, went to another meeting, now I feel all right. But I feel mm. like talking, bringing other stuff up, I do feel sad and like I'm going away tomorrow with my family. It's a bigger, it's, it's a new thing for me. I'm used to like packing a rucksack and trying to find a place where I can smuggle my drugs. Like, that's the truth. It's just mad. And, but at the end of the day, it's very simple. You just don't have to pick up that drug. 100%. But I think exactly what you've said, you know, it is about community. And while there are many, many ways that you can get sober um, and, you know, as AA and 12-step programs being part of my life, part of your life, and there are obviously other ways. But for me, I think the biggest reason that I've managed to recover is that community. And mm. I think that's what, what that's what we're hoping to build with Re Recover Loudly is letting people know that it is okay to not have a good day, that it is okay to feel yeah. uncomfortable and to feel that you're not doing the right thing and that you're lost at your job and all of these things. But if you can lean into that like-minded community, such as we do in our 12 step and such as the community we're building of hospitality people who have had these addiction and recovery stories, that's what I'm hoping that we're going to be able to achieve. So that if you are that chef, if you are that bartender who is feeling that, drinking and using is costing them more than money there is a safe space to go and get that support and get those kind of signposts and resources as well as you know managers you know because managers and owners they aren't equipped to have the conversations that need to be had either you know and again it's not just our industry it's you know it's all over addiction while we're doing great things when it comes to mental health and um, you know there's massive amounts of change when it comes to talking about addiction, it's still such a taboo subject and one that people still fearfully walk away from. So, you know, people like yourself sharing your story is just so powerful to make people realize they're not alone and that there is a community out there that can support them. You know, what's next for, for Chef Adam? Don't I, like today, when I'm, when I'm humble myself, when I feel great, a lot of gratitude and I just sit like I've had the opportunity now just to sit here it's like I've dreamt of being here like in a nice flat with a son who's seven months old with a with in not in a toxic relationship with an amazing partner like about to go on holiday I've been there every single day for seven months for my son and in, he is a recovery baby and like he's yeah. n- and I just feel like for the last 16 months, I've put so much into my recovery. I have been like doing residencies and I have been doing pop-ups and but like I've been doing it at my own pace. I'm very fortunate to be able to do that, like with my partner working and stuff. But like I still, I do miss service and I do miss yeah. owning a restaurant and I, and I do have a slight immense to make to myself because mm. of all that hard work that I've done and I sort of like, look, if I didn't take drugs, the restaurant wouldn't have stayed open. But like, it, to me personally, I could have done it better, like in my own head. So like, 
I would like to to not for that reason, but just for for my still my my ambition to have a Madame Pig in London is um is still quite live in my head. And I still think there's a market for it to tell you the truth. So yeah, but like at the end of the day, my recovery, like the first thing that comes to my head when you said that is just my recovery. And it's yeah. like and like no matter what, if I didn't have my partner and if I didn't have my boy, I I would still be doing my recovery exactly how I'm doing it today. And it sounds mad, but like my boy and my missus don't keep me clean. It's the fact it's just and I, I still judge, and this is very important because I went to a meeting today and um, it's such a powerful share. And this is one thing that people don't understand. That like, and I saw a man yesterday outside Sainsbury saying it to the saying to this poor young girl in the in the mists of darkness was like, why don't you just get a fucking job? Then you wouldn't have to beg. And it's just like the problem. The problem of a, the disease of addiction comes before anything, like yeah. anything. So like, I'm still that person in recovery that's just said that story that still screws their nose up until I, until I humble myself. And it's such a, mm. it's just that thing that like, just remember that fucking everybody's, everybody's going for their own shit. Yeah, so, nobody yeah. is immune to to the lives that you and I have lived and the decisions that you and I have made, you know, at times and others that have made, you know, when it comes to addiction, I think that's the, the dangerous part. You know, so many people think that, Oh, well, it would never happen to me. And, you know, that's not my life. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's addiction has addiction does not mind who it, um, which door it darkens. And, you know, it's the more we talk about it and the more that people feel comfortable saying when they don't feel okay exactly as we do now so much better with mental health I think the more people will be saved from having to get as far down the line as you know you have just really generously shared with us you know because at the end of the day our industry is the most incredible industry to work for I still believe I love hospitality it's 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 amazing but the reality is that we are losing people day in and day out to addiction. And it's time that we start to kind of really turn that lens around and make sure that we are encouraging cultures and standards and, you know, practices that are sustainable and aren't pushing people, you know, at those times that's, you know, screaming, being screamed at in service, being made to feel like less than somebody you know, things like that. It all has to change. It's all kind of part of it. But I totally agree with you, though. It's not about blaming hospitality. You have to have personal responsibility. Yeah, but like, at the same time, we do one, need those kind of tools. One million percent. It's like, yes, it's, it can go It can go quite deep with like, it feels like I need to explain like how I used to be. <laughs> like, because, do you know what I mean? Because it's sort of like, mm. A contradiction to myself like I owned a place I owned a restaurant I was that person I was that that shouting person that was like that wouldn't listen to my own thoughts or anybody else so like mm. it's a hard it's a hard like things like this and awareness and like and like and also I think it's about like I, I was always taught hospital when if you go into hospitality you'll always have a house and you'll always have mm. a home 
and it's just choosing the right home. And like, if I could give advice to a young chef, a young chef or a young front of house or whatever, it's just like, choose that house properly. Like, don't go and work for somebody like I used to be because, and it's hard me saying that, it's hard me saying that, but like, don't, because um, there's a lot of great people out there that can teach you a lot. Yeah, definitely. Right, last question. Um, For me, one of the most powerful tools I think a manager can have is asking their team what they do on their day off. Because if I had been asked what I do on my day off, my days off used to consist of sleeping off a hangover or prepping for the next one, isolation. Um, I was constantly on my phone, terrified Mm. that someone was going to call me, that something had gone wrong. Mm. And I look back now and I think, you know, just that simple question, the manager asking a team member, what have you been doing on your day off, can help create conversations and can kind of navigate those red flags, you know, as to maybe a team member's not okay. So I was wondering, what did your days off used to look like compared to now? My days off when I was in, when I was in addiction, fuck me, man. My days off were just... I would probably wake up at like three or four in the afternoon from falling asleep at like midday. And then I'd go to a restaurant uh, on my own. And then my starter would be a line off a piss-soaked toilet seat. And then I'd go mainly this restaurant in Shoreditch and then I'd go eat a little bit of food, go through about the cocktail menu twice ring people to see if they wanted to meet me and nobody would because I knew how it'd end. And then find, pluck up the courage with Valium to go back to my hotel room or my flat I was living in and then just do the same but on my own, thinking people were after me. Compared to my days off now, fuck me. I can't even believe that used to be me. They yeah. just of waking up at six o'clock in the morning, half past six, feeding my boy, with smiles and laughter because he's such a happy boy and with my missus make breakfast watch Moana for like the 150th time <laughs> then we and not eat it not, and not need to use <laughs> <laughs> like the obsession is gone the desire is still there like yeah. the obsession's gone I'm still working on I still yeah but it's just um it's just beautiful. It's just like noticing stuff and like being aware of things. And yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I do struggle. Like I struggle quite a bit, but I do, I've got tools to that. I know exactly what to do. It might take me a couple of hours or a day to like do those things. But like the, the message at the end of the day is just I'm not on my own. Like yeah. I've done everything on my own. And like today I don't do anything on my own. And, I'm, and I don't feel ashamed of it. <laughs> Yeah. I need help. <laughs> I need help to like, I need help to to share in a meeting and like, I need help to do normal things. And I have done. I've run my sponsor to walk down the street when I, when I couldn't, when I came out of rehab and stuff. And yeah, so the progress in 16 months is living beyond my wildest dreams. And where I am today, I never thought I'd be here. I thought I'd yeah. die an addict which I didn't even know what one was and I thought I'd have to use for the rest of my life. So where I am today, I'm really glad I've done this because it's just brought a massive rush of gratitude into my life. Thanks. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much um, for your time. I can't wait 
for Madam Pig 2.0, the sober <laughs> years. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going to be absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for sharing, sharing your story. And like you said, you know, showing that there is a different way of living. Um, mm. We don't have to accept the way that we have been living. There are other options, even when it feels like there, there just is nothing. There is always a way out and there are people that can help. You know, you, you just have to have the courage to ask. Okay. 100%. My phone is always on, where, like, and I always say this, like talking is the best key, medicine, man. Just anybody can contact me. It's easy to contact me. Amazing. Well, I'll put all your socials um, in the show notes. Um, but thank, thank you, you so much for your time. And you really have the nice best holiday. You. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to We Recover Loudly. Please stay tuned for future episodes, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn for more updates on at We Recover Loudly. If you are struggling with addiction and want to find support, please refer to the resources listed in the show notes or alternatively check out the website www.werecoveredloudly.com. If you would like to be a guest on the show, fill in the contact sheet on the website and we will be in touch. We would love to hear from you and have you share your experiences here on the podcast. This podcast has been produced by the fabulous Podcast Boutique and hosted by me, Shell, recovering loudly so that others do not die quietly. Thank you. Hey!